0: Welcome to episode 82 of Control the Controllables. Today, we have Alistair McCall. Those of you that are on social media will know all about Alistair. He's done a fantastic job in branding himself, but has also backed it up with working with some of the best athletes in the world from a physical point of view and then moving into mindset as well. He was a great guest I, I have to be honest, and I said this to Alistair, I wasn't sure what to expect going into the chat. You know, you see things, you make opinions on social media. It's ultimately don't judge a book by its cover. To have the opportunity to sit down and talk to him about what he actually does, getting the context of his life, understanding the battles that he has had and how that's then brought through resilience and a way of working is is just so so fantastic to be a part of those conversations. And I think a lot of you will be surprised with what you hear from the podcast. It's it's a, it's another real success to get somebody like Alistair coming onto the podcast and sharing his story. I also want to use the time we have a bit of a decision to make. We're eighty-two episodes in. We are looking into what happens next with the podcast. Can we continue going to every week? Where's, where's it all heading? You know, we're searching for feedback from you, our listeners, our dedicated listeners, or our first-time listeners. You know, we're looking into the possibilities of expanding the podcast, bringing a higher quality service to you in terms of how it's edited, how it's produced, but these things obviously do come at a cost. We're not sure if that's the direction to go. I would welcome your feedback on that guys and and also any opportunities of bringing some sponsors on board with the podcast in obviously to to take it to that next level to make it a bit more polished uh to to bring it to Level that's going to go a little bit more global in terms of people listening to the podcasts. I do appreciate that we do need to start spending some money on it. So please reach out one if you have any feedback, two if you want to be involved in the podcast. If you know of anybody that would be from a sponsorship side, uh, there's great opportunities in that. And sorry to use this forum to, to tell you that, but I do think it's an important message. And like I say, it's, it's become, you loyal listeners, this has become your podcast. I'll be led by what you feed back to me. But enough of that. I'm now going to pass you over to Alistair McCall. So Alistair McCall, a big welcome to Control the Controllables. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I just have to uh, start off by saying I love the name of, of the podcast thank you it's been a it's been something that's certainly been our kind of big philosophy it, it means a lot of things to us at the academy in spain and when myself and john and a big welcome to you as well john it's lovely to have you on the podcast i know you haven't been on all of them recently but a big shout out to you for for joining us as well anytime lads it's a, it's a great to be back on and
1: uh, Alistair, uh before we do get into the podcast is Dan and myself started this up in, in March at the beginning of, uh, of COVID and the whole idea was basically to give back to the tennis community. And I'm very, very happy to be uh, be able to come back in and, and, and have a chat with you today. So thanks a million for coming on, Alistair.
2: Absolute pleasure, John. I mean, obviously I've heard a lot about the podcast and, and I'm pretty honored to be on here seeing that some of the, uh, some of the guests you've had on already.
0: So great job. And to those to those listening with Alistair, we had a little speak off there on how do we introduce Alistair McCaw. So I, I'm going to go with what I had down. And Alistair is many things. <laughs> um, you know, he's a he's a fitness guru himself. I mean, what he does, but and also how he's helped athletes over the years has then developed very strongly into the side on the mindset, you know, very strong in the mindset area as a coach and also as an author of of his books. And and I'm sure that many of you will know him for all of the above or the very least one of the above. And I'm excited to unpack all of those different roles and, and positions that you've had Alistair over the years. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. And I guess the first, we start with this question all the time on the podcast, and, and my reason for it is is very much around context. You know, if you were talking about someone like yourself who has ran crazy amounts of marathons and has gone into this place of mindset, you can see it in everything that you do, to try and kind of connect the dots to your upbringing on, on how that's happened. So to so tell us about where that all started for you. Yeah,
2: you know, it actually probably started my journey. um, You know, I was brought up in South Africa. I was born in Belfast, Northern Ireland. We left there when I was six. Um, uh, Moved to to Johannesburg, South Africa. I had three brothers. It was obviously a very sporty family as well. So there was always, uh, you know, competitions in the back garden and and lots of fights. So I was the youngest of of four boys. So uh, I had to like toughen up pretty quick. Um, But there was always, you know, rugby, cricket, football, football everything going on in the backyard, but it was actually tennis that first caught my, my attention when I was probably around nine or 10. And I don't know what it was, but already at that age, I had a vision that I wanted to be a champion, that I wanted to be uh, a professional. Um, of course, that was in the pre-internet days and, and, um, and those days where you could obviously see, see tennis on TV or on the internet like you do today, for example. But, um, you know, there was a club near us uh, that was probably about a kilometer away. I'd run there with my tennis racket uh, we, did, we didn't have a lot of money, so, you know, I would have a secondhand racket, for example. I'd pick up balls that were uh, maybe in the field next to the court that had been hit over. So, you know, I'd go find tennis balls, hit them against the wall. Um, uh, I, I made a hole in the fence because, obviously, they would lock the, the courts as well, so I'm sure, sure they weren't too happy, happy about that. But when I look back at those experiences, I think, boy, I must have really have had a burning desire to want to be, you know, something, to, to be a champion in something. And it started there at nine or 10. Little did I know that I'd be climbing fences or making a hole in the fence, which if there's any kids out there, please, uh, that's not a good idea. Um, but, you know, I'd find myself doing those things. And another very interesting thing as well is, and, and you know, I never needed my parents or anything to tell me to go practice or whatever. In fact, they would almost say, you're doing too much. And that was like at 10, 11, for example. So already that seed of, I don't know, work ethic, um, desire, determination, hunger, those things were planted there without me even knowing. But because we also couldn't afford coaching, I would sit alongside um, the court, outside the court, and listen to coaches working with other kids and and steal information, so to say. So, you know, if it was like a C-shape on the forehand, I'd listen to the coach uh, telling it to the player. And I mean, I, like I said, again, I was 10, 11. I would go down to the, the court uh, that was that was down below and, and practice, you know, a C-shape on my forehand, for example. And like I said, I was 10 or 11 and I didn't realize it then. But when I think back about it, I was thinking you know, that's not normal, you know, to, to be that like creative or to be that hungry, to like steal information and, and and so on and so forth. So I think if I really have to go back to tennis, um, was the root of me on this whole journey. Um, you know, and, and and I'm so blessed that I'm still involved in, in
0: tennis today, but yeah, it's, um, it's pretty fascinating when I think about it. Can I just pick up on a point there? I think it's again there's quite kind of common trends coming through the podcasts and you know, i think this is number 82 in 6 months so there's been lots of conversations with highly successful successful people and one of the common trends actually two it's i it seems to be either somebody is has got parents who were tennis players or or athletes or along those lines so it's kind of almost follow follow the leader or quite often it is people that will say, I didn't have a lot. And I don't know what you think of this. You just got my mind thinking. If we now kind of fast forward to the modern world, when you don't have a lot and maybe boredom is quite prevalent in your life, what comes from that is creativity and potentially passion. (laughs) Whereas I see the kids now, they're never bored, or they're bored for one minute, but then they pick a phone up, or they pick an iPad up. Are we in danger, or this you can watch any sport you want on telly? You know, I was having a conversation this morning. The FA Cup in England, every year, it didn't matter who was in it. It didn't matter who was in it. Tottenham Hotspur against Coventry City, 1987. I remember it. I was seven years old. You would wake up with this buzz, whereas now it's like, well, which sport event should i watch on what channel or should i watch netflix or should i are we are we squashing this passion and this creativity now you know funny
2: enough you know yesterday here in in the united states was thanksgiving day and you know i was having this exact discussion with um with with a lady yesterday at, at um you know we were at friends house and we were saying do you remember the days when you know you'd wait until friday to see magnum pi or the a team or macgyver or something and then on monday you'd be talking with your friends about did you see did you see on friday did you see the show you'd be waiting until uh, till friday for that in fact we were also talking about dallas um you know who shot jr i mean now, now we're going back like <laughs> we're now we're showing our age right um so you you're absolutely right is that it's almost just everything is on demand now and, and it's the way it is in the world i mean you can just see any tennis match you want at any time in the world um everything is live streaming and so on and so forth and it's it's great as well i mean but um, yes, everything is just at, 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 you know, the touch of a button. But getting back to, to the word you said there, passion, and, and, you know, there's three things I believe to be, you need to be successful. Number one is passion. You've got to love what you do. Yeah. You know, it's like me saying to you, you know, or saying to John, John, I want you to go learn the piano. And you're like, well, I'm, I'm not so super keen on that. And I said, well, you, you have to go do it. And this is sometimes what parents do to kids is that I want you to play Uh, hockey or I want you to play tennis well I'm not so super keen on that and the kid gets gets put through it but passion is number one you've got to love what you do you know it's like you just you know I was I was speaking to a player I worked with she was number two in the world in squash Natalie Gurnham and I said to her what was your childhood like she said my parents had to pull me off the court you know they played squash like you just said there now sometimes they'll be parent they come from parents who played as well but I was that annoying kid that would go onto the court while they were having a drink you know, between games and go hit against the wall, and then I'd have to be kicked off again. So passion is one. Number two is hunger, the hunger to succeed. Like, I I want this like so badly. And that's the way I felt. I wanted it so badly. I'd have pictures on the wall. I'd have slogans. And This is when I was a kid. And number three, obviously, the self-discipline to to do the work. You know, those are three things I, I believe that are so, so important.
1: Yeah, I mean it's refreshing to to listen to that, Alistair. And uh, I suppose I have to link in with just what Dan said there. I have to have to agree that you know I think everyone's here at the touch of a button for for kids and the new generation that's coming up. And and again, showing the age here, but growing up, um, very little of uh, my own training, you know, or just growing up, it, it was on the streets. It was you know you were playing football, you were playing tennis, um, you were allowed to run free a lot, lot more and you know i'm looking at the kids coming up these days and everything seems that it's all on a structured timetable it has to be done at certain times certain places and do you think that freedom of of play has been
2: yeah i I honestly believe that you know kids don't have uh, don't have time anymore just to have free play like you said just going in the street or something because they've got the next thing planned they're either going for a, a, a you know a music lesson or you know their sports lesson for example so you know i think think back in the day that you know we had more time to have free play you know you'd be outside like you said with your mates kicking a ball or, or playing games or you know in the field building bonfires or whatever those, those type of things you hardly see kids these days like just out in the street and just playing around you know what i mean playing a game of basketball or whatever it may be so that's a pity yeah things are a lot more structured these days for example and you know Creativity comes from free play, not being told what to do all the time, not being told, you know, do A, B and C. It it comes from discovering things and, 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 you know, uh, opening up that type of
0: type of uh, world to ourselves, so to say. And where did, where did this take you? Where did this passion take you in your tennis? As a player, as a player, as a player.
2: Yeah, sure. So, you know, my tennis career ended around about the age of 14 because I got to a decent level. I, I got to top 10 and under 14s in South Africa. And, uh, you know, we had we had strong players back in the day in my age group. We had Neville Godwin, Wayne Ferreira was just ahead of us, Clinton Marsh, um, Robbie Koenig. Uh, I'm sure you guys all recognize that. That was, that. that was our age group. These are guys that did pretty well on the circuit. You know, Neville, John Laf-
0: Neville coached me.
2: Neville, well, neville coached me for nine yeah, months yeah neville because my journey with neville is pretty incredible talking about you know going full circle so um john Lafney de jager you know these are players i'm sure you guys know those 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 were my my age group miles wakefield um mm-hmm. a lot of good players so um talking about neville um you know neville and i played under tens and under 12s together wow, okay uh, you know, he was he was the best under 12 well he was the best junior in south africa 12s 14s, 16s i mean he was he was just miles ahead of us. I mean, I can even remember the match. I think it was 6 2, 6 1. And I was so happy that I didn't get bageled by this guy. Yeah. But full circle, and, and we've had such a journey, is that we're still working to get together, together today. I mean, we worked with Kevin Anderson for four years together, yeah. and we worked with Hyun Chung uh, yeah. together. Uh, you know, we usually do off season with Hyun in Thailand. It's not going to happen this year. But that's a, that's a friendship of 35 years that you know, you would never have thought that I'm still going to be seeing this guy, you know. Yeah. So that was fascinating. But yes, my tennis career ended around about 14. Uh, we just couldn't go any further because of expenses. We couldn't afford private coaching, never mind traveling to another town that was two hours away, for example. So it was just too hard on my, my family. You know, I'd have broken strings and the rackets would, you know, rackets would be in the cupboard because we just couldn't string the rackets. Um I remember I had this terrible action on my serve where I dragged my toe so that my, you know, so tennis shoes would last about two weeks because the toe would go through the shoe. I don't know where I got that tennis action from. I think, I think I copied my serve a little bit between McEnroe and David Pate, which was a terrible, um, (laughs) terrible like service action. So, um, so it ended at 14. I thought, okay, what's a sport I can do, where I can be a champion. I still wanted to be a champion in something and running okay running doesn't cost much and um took up running and and at 16 i was the south african five kilometer champion on the road i ran a time of like 1507 at oh. that age so i had some quality like uh, genetics there because my mom was an olympic trialist in the 400 meters so i think i had some some good genetics there so yeah that that's where my tennis playing career uh, ended but i still i still played casually and i play more today than than ever
1: Amazing, and and Alistair, uh, I always get the sense from uh, South Africans. Uh, I had some South African friends that I used to play with, Kieran Moore, and uh, a really good doubles player Raven Klassen, uh, who I used to travel with a lot, and. Um, I always got the sense that they were always on the road, you know, they were always, they used to speak about going back to, you know, South Africa, but then they were, as soon as they left, they were, they were on the road for months on end. And you seem to be a guy that's traveled the world. You've been in so many different countries and I'm sure you've uh, learned about so many different cultures um, around, around the world. Could you tell us a little bit about, you know, the different countries and, and players that you, you've worked with um, over the course of the last 10 years?
2: Yeah, sure. Well, obviously, you know, brought up in South Africa in uh, the '80s and then '90s, which um, you know we were pretty isolated there. Uh, you know, South Africa is a long way away from everywhere, um, so you know we would be brought up with watching, you know, rugby. You know, our rivalry with the All Blacks in Australia that was big. Then cricket, of course, and you know that was that was our our. Um, that's all we knew uh, down down in those days. For example, so you know, I had a, obviously a burning desire to to travel the world to to compete in sports, which. I eventually became a triathlete and duathlete, athlete which is running and biking, and that opened up my world, so to say, to, to travel to, to different countries. I raced five world championships, um, uh, Cancun, Mexico, uh, Hobart, Australia, Belgium, um, Atlanta, Georgia, so many places with world championships, uh, which, which was, was really, you know, that gave me a, a, a taste for traveling. I competed for a few teams in Europe in Italy, France, Germany, Holland, for example. So, you know, traveling is in me This honestly, guys, this has been the toughest year, you know, in my life from not being able to travel and not being able to be out there. And I'm sure you guys are the same, just, you know, that, that interaction of, of just face to face being able to jump on a plane and go, go somewhere else to compete or whatever. So I've really, really missed that. But yeah. Um, Traveling is a massive part of my life. I mean, I've been to, I think, 40, 40-something countries. I feel so, so lucky to do that. And, you know, people say to me, wow, you know, you travel like so much. And, you know, last year in 2019, I, I think I had 113 flights or 119 flights. I can't remember. And people say to me, don't you get tired of like flying? I said, every time I step onto a plane, I'm, I'm like a little kid because <laughs> I'm, I'm excited that I'm going somewhere and, and also that I have the opportunity to do this to get on an airplane, you know, so I, I still feel like it's like I'm the luckiest person in the world.
0: If you had to work on that, because that we all know, I think we all know it. Like I, I'll share a very quick story on me. I moved house two weeks ago. <clears throat> I moved from one nice house to another nice house. OK, yet I walked around like a bear with a sore head for 10 days, like oh, it's ridiculous and this this house doesn't have this, then, you know, all of this kind of stuff. And I had to really check myself, you know, our number one value at the Academy is gratitude. And so we know it, we know that when we, when we truly show gratitude and we really feel it, it, it makes us happy as, as a person, but it's not always easy in this life to do it. Is that something you've had to work on?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I love that that's one of your values because that's where it all starts. You know, you know, one of the most common questions is, you know, do you want to be happy or, or are you happy? And, and that is where it all starts is joy and happiness starts with gratitude. Okay. I believe that's where, where it really starts. And obviously you want to have an academy in an environment where there's happy people, where there's, where there's joy to be had that, where it's more than just a tennis experience, but I felt incredible when I went to, to that academy, for example, that's what you want. You know, it, it's all about experience. What was your experience like there, you know, what was your experience like with that person? You know, that, that's what it's all about because people don't remember necessarily what you said. They remember how they made you feel. But I've got these three things that I live by daily and I call it gas. And the first thing is I wake up with gratitude. That's the G. And I just think of two things I'm grateful for, that's all. If there's more that comes to me, great. But I've programmed myself and I, uh, to wake up and think of two things I'm grateful for. Now, how did I do that? It's like almost what I call the toothbrush theory, of you know I always ask people where's your toothbrush and they'll go it's in 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 the bathroom I said well where is it it's in the cupboard no it's on the you know on the bench and I say, so well, why is it not in the cupboard like the rest of the stuff and they like type of thing I said well here's the thing because you see it it's a cue and you start brushing your teeth the brush is there so what I did is I put a little stick note next to my bed that said gratitude and it was um on my lamp so when I'd wake up open my eyes I see gratitude the word And then I would click, okay, think of two things I'm grateful for. Now, it took around about 90 days until that became, I call it the 99 theory. 90 days until that became where I didn't need that piece of paper anymore. It was just ingrained. You hear about the 21-day habit thing. You hear about 60-day habit, how long it takes to develop. But that took me 90. Maybe I'm a little bit of a slower learner. So start the day with gratitude. Think of two things. My next one is A, is appreciation, okay? So live your day in appreciation, which is more like mindfulness. Be thankful for the things that people do around you that you probably don't even realize. You know, those people that are at the supermarket right now during COVID, they're putting themselves out there for you. You know, thank them at least. Uh, Somebody that helps you pick up the balls, thank them, be mindful of it. And then the last thing is self-reflection. I believe the best way to lead yourself and the best way to improve yourself is to self-reflect. And that's not always easy because, you know, at the end of the day, I'll think of three things. What did I do well today? What could I have done better today? And who did I make better today? Because it's not all about me. And so that's what GAS is, gratitude, appreciation, and self-reflection. And the best way to improve yourself is to self-reflect. You know what? The way I spoke to that lady at the post office today wasn't really good, Alistair. I mean, next time, you know what I mean? So at least I'm able Mm. to like look at things of how I can be better with,
0: with, with people and situations. Very good. What's the difference between gratitude and appreciation? Gratitude, I think more is... Um, that's a very good question. Uh,
2: that's a very good question. I would say gratitude is more, um, a, more a thankfulness. I would say appreciation. I mean, that, that's a very good question. That is probably one of the hardest questions <laughs> I've been asked. I think I've actually got to look at the definition on, on online Google for that, to be honest, but. Cause I like,
0: good- I like them both and I'm, I'm a massive, like massive for me. I, I think the way you described them both I think, comes under my one definition of gratitude. Now, our, and I say it, the, the players at the academy have, have created this with a little bit of a, a helping hand from myself and the coaches, but their word is growth. So they, they're they coming to the academy to grow as people, to grow as tennis players, to grow, and then we have the values going down. So I guess if I've got to add an A into that, it's not going to work, Alistair. Do you know what I mean? I need to, I need to keep it as just a G. <laughs> I need it all in one word.
2: Yeah, you're right. I mean, appreciation can fall under under um gratitude for sure. But if I was to think about that, I'd say, like I said, appreciation is also mindfulness. Um, yeah. and, and I suppose grateful, being grateful as well as mindfulness, but just being more mindful of
0: what's going on around you, of how how fortunate we are, so to say. And on self reflection, because again. You're speaking very much my language, and, and I think you've you're someone that I've certainly learnt from. You know, I read read a lot of a lot of your things. I haven't read your books, I have to be honest. That's I need to spend more time, you know, reading full books, but I, I like to read posts and I like to get my kind of quick quick fixes on things with that a little bit. But in terms of self reflection. It, the ability to do it every single day is, is, is. Uh, I guess in my experience with with players, with coaches, with myself, you know, we put certain things in and monitoring things in place. But as soon as it becomes hard work to do, quite quickly people, it's a bit faddish. You know, they do it for a week or two, and then quite quickly. Have you got any kind of any tips on on how to maintain that?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I run a mentor program where I, I work with um, all types of people, business people, um, political scientists, etc. And, you know, one of the keys to success, of course, there's many keys to success. But one of the biggest ones is consistency. And you, you, you mentioned that word consistency. I always say, you know, the average do it sometimes, the good do it most of the time, the great do it all the time. Yep. And, and consistency is the key, I believe, to success. And like you said you know some will do it for a week and then it type of like it fades out a little bit but one thing i do every year is you know i have a diary that i've designed myself and you can get this done where you can take it to a store and they'll they'll you know bind it for you for example so you know on on that page will be a section for my um my physical training i take my heart rate every morning still even though i'm not competing as much anymore but those were things i like to keep track of of how my body's doing Um, my appointments for the day and then the three questions at the bottom. Um, What did I do well today? What could I have done better today? And who did I make better today? So I see it every day. I I look at my diary every day and I still believe in the good old fashioned writing on a piece of paper. Um, So it makes me do it. And it can just be one word. It doesn't have to be an exercise that you're sitting there writing lines of like what I did well today. It's like, what did I do well today? Um, I had a great training session. What could I have done better? Spoken to that person nicer. And who did I make better today? My teammates, you know, I helped yeah. them or whatever it can be. So that's how I've been able to maintain consistency, uh, is by designing my own, um, diary, so to say, and then I get it binded at, 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 uh, at the beginning of each year.
0: Very good. Very good. Um, can I move you now a little bit? So move you into my first, My question is what was your first job?
2: I was a newspaper uh, newspaper boy at around about the age of eight or nine. Um, mm. My brother was as well. So delivering newspapers uh, in the morning, I had two route, routes. And those were to to help me pay for my, my strings and my tennis racket and my shoes because, you know, we didn't have money to just go buy stuff. So my parents basically said, if you want to play a sport, then you're going to have to fund it. And that was probably the greatest lesson I ever heard, you know? I mean... We, you know, we had just immigrated from south africa from ireland there was four boys to feed um so there was no money for like tennis rackets and shoes and luxuries like that so hey got out there i think i made around about equivalent of probably about a dollar a week which was able to get my racket strung back in back in the day um i had many jobs i did two newspaper routes one at five o'clock in the morning and then one at 5 p.m again in the evening newspaper uh, I flipped burgers at a, at a takeout called Archie's Diner. Um, I worked in electrical stores called Leprechaun Electrical. John will like that one. Um, oh, I cleaned, I cleaned locker rooms <laughs> at the gym. I, I, I made a deal with them that I'll, I'll do their vacuuming and their cleaning, for example. I was just hustling to just make things happen by
0: working jobs already at the age of 9, 10. So I'm age 20. And I haven't done that, but I then pick up one of your books. So I listen to this podcast. How much harder is it for me to live a life of gratitude and appreciation than it is to you who had that in your blood from such a young age?
2: You know, I, I, I think it's possible at any age. However, <clears throat> I think it takes a a realization of just, you know, being around people that are grateful and, and learning from them of what, you know, what it's like on the other side, you know, I think it's important that everybody is exposed to what the other side of the the world looks like as well. Um, I know that's very hard you know we live in you know I live in a beautiful area here in Florida where I don't de- think these kids even know that some of these kids don't even know that poverty exists because it's just you know they get into nice cars and go to nice schools and go to the club and so on and so forth so yeah it would be it would be a process to be honest um, but I still think it is possible to, to learn gratitude, to learn appreciation, to see that not everything is, is just
0: not everybody is as fortunate as you. Yeah. Cause it's just very plain and clear to see. And this is what I love about going through this journey with our guests. It's so clear to see how you are <laughs> the way you are. And my, my last one to kind of, I suppose, reflection, a bit of a reflection question you mentioned, Neville Godwin, you mentioned Robbie Cooning, you, re- you mentioned Wayne Ferreira, I don't think you mentioned Kieran Vorster, but I'm sure he was in and around that era. Why do you think, out of all, all of you are high achievers, all of you are, are high, I mean, Robbie's the on the tv nonstop. neville's coached uh, some of the best players in the world wayne is wayne you know has achieved what he's achieved kieran's you know had a very successful career why do you think that core group of similar aged people from south africa have all excelled and achieved so much
2: i would have to definitely go back to the fact that you know you know, and not, not that we're, we're proud of it, but we were brought up in the apartheid years in South Africa in the 80s, and school was like military. It, you know, the, a public school there was like military. You know, you would march, um, you know, in your uniform. Uh, that's another thing. We had uniforms. There was very strict rules. Your hair was not allowed to be, you know, had to be in line with your ears, the height. If it was uh, more than that, you'd you'd go to the office and you'd get a few smacks. Uh, it, it was, when I think back about it, it was you know we'd call it today brutal for example but we were highly disciplined um, our sporting structure in school was very 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 good a lot of our teachers were ex professional athletes uh, our sports uh, coaches our pe teachers were all ex you know uh, springbok athletes south african athletes so we had like the best coaching in school um, and like i said very very military like schooling so high so I would say it would probably go back to the discipline that we, that we were brought up with. Plus, we were an isolated country and I, we, we had a hunger to get out and, and to succeed. So there was something out there for us that, that we, we desperately
1: wanted. It's amazing. And, and Alistair, how, how exactly would you define uh, success? Well, you know, I, I
2: believe, you know, as a kid, I mean, success to me was being a champion. That's all, all I thought. I mean, but obviously as you go, you know, you go on in life, different things mean more to you as, as you as you evolve and as you grow. So I believe it's important to define uh, two places of success, success for your life and success for your career. And success for my life is very simple. It's about relationships. The older I've gotten, the more I've, I've found that relationships matter more than, than anything else because... You know, loneliness is not a nice thing either. And, and being, you know, you might be, if you can say successful in business and you've got a lot of money and you've got everything you want, but you're sitting in your house by yourself. I don't determine, I don't see that as success. So success is relationships in life. And success in my career is basically the fact that I can wake up and be able to do what I love to do with who I love to do it with. So, you know, because I've worked myself into this position where I have the freedom to plan my diary, as in today, I'm going to do A, B, and C um, with these these people. I get to choose that. So for me, I would almost say success is freedom of being able to choose who I want to work with, or which project I want to take on, or which client I want to go visit. So yeah, those are the two things. That's a great question because you know you ask anybody in a room who wants to be successful, everybody's hand goes up. Okay, have you defined what success is for your life? Have you defined what success is for your career? And like if you will just sit there and go, not really. And, and, you know, that's, that's important. So a very important question.
0: And do you think when we talk about mindset of an athlete, but I would, I would sure it's the same across business people across anyone in life because the typical success measurement is winning and, and sometimes it's the only success measure, how, how, how much of a detriment or a positive does that have on an athlete's mindset?
2: Yeah. I mean, obviously it's, it starts with the upbringing. It starts with the parents, you know Um, you know, I was chatting to uh, Mike Boyle who was on my podcast, I think three or four weeks ago, Mike Boyle is probably one of the the best well-known performance coaches in the world. He's worked with the Boston Bruins. He's worked with uh, guys like Daniel Sturridge. He's worked with the Boston um, uh, Red Sox and, you know, I asked him the question, you know, what do you do with a kid that's not well disciplined in your in your group, for example. And he said, well, obviously, you've got to have standards, which which is important, but that stems from the family, you know, the discipline, they're allowed what they're allowed to get away with at home, they're going to bring that to to the court, for example. So, you know, um, I think, I, I think that's so important is that you establish those things. Um Maybe I went off the topic of, of your question there. Sorry, Dan.
0: No, 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 it's fine. I guess I guess the point the point I'm trying to get to is, in my opinion, if I share my opinion, and actually one of our podcasts we did with Valerie Condos Field, who yes. was the UCLA gymnastics coach, brilliant, incredible lady, and I, I, had, lunch, I had lunch with her about. Oh um, wow! Pandemic, yeah, because I was up there at UCLA
2: with uh, with their new coach. Um, yeah. So I, I had lunch with
0: her. What a what, oh, a what a woman, huh? Fantastic. And and her whole thing, which I which she articulates very very much better than I do, but uh, along similar lines of is that winning doesn't always equal success, you know. And that's kind of was her big her big thing that she went through. She felt as a coach that she just had to be like a coach, and and the coaches she'd seen were shouty and you know not really taking care of the person at all. And, and I guess in, in the field of tennis, we've seen so many players that have won a lot, but I wouldn't necessarily say they've been successful because yeah. uh, so I'm, I guess that's my, and, and then there's so many that are trying so much that the only thing that matters is winning that then their mindsets are in the wrong place to actually, actually achieve.
2: You know, you know, we get back to you know the words joy and happiness and that. And, and sorry, I went off the, the 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 that question, the one before there. So I actually forgot what the question was. But <laughs> yeah, you know, like in my book Champion Minded, for example, and 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 Paul, uh, Paul will know this as well, is that I try and mention the word win as little as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the words win and lose are outcome. And this is what makes kids nervous. This is what makes kids choke in matches is they're thinking about winning or what if I lose? You know, they're not not present in the moment or the process, for example. So, you know, I've found that people, especially kids that have this uh, drive to, everybody wants to win. You don't need to tell anybody, go win. You know, it's one of the most stupidest coaching cues I've ever heard is go win. Uh, You don't need to tell anyone to go win, but is... You know the pursuit of winning can make you miserable mm-hmm. it can make you miserable and you lose the joy of why you started playing tennis in the first ba- uh, p- uh, basis or, or whatever sport it may be you know you've seen kids you guys know more than me you're at more tournaments than me is that they almost just look as if it's a chore it's like they, they they you know they walk with their their bag and they just look miserable that's where it should be something like
0: like joy you know and when you I guess we're jumping into the mindset piece now, but how? no matter how many times we tell someone and they could read a book or they could listen to this podcast or I could sit the players down and the parents down and say, it's not all about winning. It's about, I would call them success measures. You know, it's about these success measures, these daily habits, which I know you're you're massive on, but they're like, no, screw, no, I I, want to win. I want to win. Yes, I know you want to win, but what we need to do in order to win and in order to to live a happy, healthy life, let's focus on these things. And the byproduct is it gives you more chance, more chance to win. But it's all words. How do we actually get get players to do it or get people to to do that, especially when they've got a bit of a fixed mindset against it?
2: Yeah, well, look, I've always had this theory that when you work with kids, you're working with a family, right? It's it's the parents who are making the decision about where they go for coaching and and so on and so forth. Now, I know you guys there have a high performance academy. You're, you're very value driven, which is, uh, to be honest with you, if I had kids, I'd probably send them to to, to your academy because that's I'm very uh, much aligned to what you you guys believe in, for example. But you know, it's um, it's it's it starts with the parents. It, it starts with us as coaches or academy directors whatever position you may be in educating the parents of how um they 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 speak to the kids and how they best prepare them to be successful and if it's just all all outcome and 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 result driven you know that kid is going to be you know uh, nervous and, and and so on and so forth and not enjoying the journey so to say so i believe the education starts with the parents first of all and then they're hearing the same message from both the parents and the coach of what how important the process is that when you focus on the process, you're going to have a better, a better outcome in, in the end, for example, because it's no good, you know, just the coach talking about process, and it's not all about winning and so on and so forth, As and then they go home, and it is all about winning, for example. And here's the thing is that sometimes you, you can't change people, you can't change parents, you, you can't control. And, and this is so, so cool about your podcast being con- control the controllables you can't control what's being said at home or in the car, no matter how much you preach it,
1: you know?
0: Yeah,
1: absolutely. I have to, I have to uh, say that's a great insight. And I look back on my own journey as a, as a kid growing up. And, you know, my mother would, you know, bring me sometimes to the tournaments and drop me off and I'd go and play the play my match. And all was very supportive of me, uh, whether I won or I lost. And I, I think you're right, like those, you know, going home in the car um, is, is very, very important as well. Like uh, somehow my mum was just very, very uh, good at these things, just, you know, a natural way. It wouldn't uh, interrogate me on the match or just let me kind of blow off some steam. Um, and I think you're right, Alistair, you know, the, the, the world has changed an awful lot between structured lessons, everything organised, not as much freedom of play. It's it's almost as though the next generation of kids are, they're almost trapped in a way in that they're being brought to everything. The parents are there all the time watching. And, you know, how how do you see this sport going forward? How do you, you know, you know, do you think this is a a problem um, in the sport and in the industry that that, that we're living in today?
2: Uh, Yes and no. Look, I I believe it is important to give uh, kids structure and I believe it's important for everybody to have structure. So I like to call it, you know, have a game plan to your day, know what you're doing at 10 o'clock, know what you're doing at 12 o'clock, etc. So, you know, that's how you're able to, what I call win the day, you know, is that I achieved these things today. However, there's got to be time for, you know, free play, so to say, and letting a kid just be creative and just here, you know, here's two hours where you can do what you want. You know, you're not saying go do your homework. Of course, these things need to be done, but go do your homework, or you know, you're in the car to the next, the next thing, and the next thing, and the next thing. So I think it's so important that yes, there is structure, but there's also in that structure um, time for creativity. Let's call it creativity. Do what you want. Go in the backyard and build castles, and you know, do whatever. But yeah, there's. I agree with you, John. There's, there's that time is it seems to be no longer. You know, so to say. Mm-hmm. And of course, and of course, the big challenge there is the distraction of, of, um, of technology and you know, an iPad and so on. You know, of, you know, okay, there's nothing. Okay, let's just grab the iPad, and start playing a game or something like that. And you know, yes, it can be time for that, but it's it's not easy being a parent today. I think it's tougher being a parent today uh, than it was back in our day. To be honest, I mean, parenting is the toughest job. But now we have to deal with technology. The kid wants to, if they do have free time, they just want to sit in front of a screen instead of going out
1: into the, you know, into the backyard or whatever. So it's, it's a great challenge. I think you're right. I think it's totally, it's a whole new world we're, we're, we're living in right now.
0: Yeah. And talking of new worlds, Alistair, I couldn't introduce you at the start because there's so many, there's so many things that you've jumped in into. What are you, what do you do? How would you define yourself? Well, I'm still trying to figure it out, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know this.
2: You know, I, I basically, you know, as, as I said, I started as, you know, a, a performance coach and fitness trainer, and I think that's where, you know, I built my career from in my early twenties. I I look back at it as as a success. I was able to work with the world number one players in, in a lot of different sports, world champions, Olympians, um, Grand Slam champions, etc. Where I look back at that at, with, with with you know pride so, so to say but I needed to keep evolving and I always felt if you don't wake up in the morning loving what you do why are you doing it now obviously there's some things in your job you don't like doing that's normal where you know you have to do things maybe like admin or whatever so, but okay it's part of the job but I you know a few years back probably probably 2014-15 I realized you know what I'm not as I'm not as passionate about this as much anymore I, I've achieve these things. And I'm not, no longer waking up and going, yeah, I can't wait to to get out there today. And I thought, I thought to myself, what, what is it that, that lights my fire? And I thought, you know, team culture does leadership does mindset does, uh, you know, that was just before I wrote my first book as well. And I thought, well, I'd like to still write that book. And those are things that ignited me to move into what I do today is also author speaking and consulting on mindset, um, uh, team culture and, and leadership. So, you know, I have these 10 rules of success, which, which I have actually here. And I believe everybody should have their own 10 rules of success. And number two is do what you love because life is too short not to do what you love. And you're not stuck. You're not a tree. You know, if you're doing something that you can't stand, yes, you have to pay the bills. Yes. You have to put the kids through school and so on and so forth, but you know, you're not stuck. You might have to take a little bit of a, a, a drop, you know, f- for a while, but which I did. When I was evolving and changing and getting out of, and I had lots of offers to work with good players where I said, no, I'm going a different direction, which was tough to turn down because that's all I knew. And I thought, no, I have to re I have to reestablish
0: myself and reinvent myself. And Alistair, you said your 10 rules of success. Let's see. Let's see if you can simmer that down to one. Um, it's probably number one, have a vision and purpose. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, you know, I had a vision as a kid that I didn't even know I had a vision of, you know, a, a dream, if you want, um, of being a champion. And I believe it's important to have a vision and purpose to your life. Purpose should be something far greater than yourself. And a vision is the vision you have for yourself. So, you know, what's my vision today and, and purpose today is to inspire as many people as possible. Uh, but to inspire others, you have to first inspire yourself. So, you know, you have to be living that life that you're trying to inspire others with. I was listening to a podcast yesterday with a guy called Tom Izo, who is a, a, a basketball coach here in, in the United States in a, in a top four school, uh, college. And he said, you know, motivation is, is not the important thing. He says inspiration is the important thing. If you're a coach that can inspire others, then you're going to be successful because motivation is fleeting. It's, you know, it comes and goes. Yeah. So it, inspiration. So yeah,
0: I'd say, and that's part of my, my vision and purpose. And inspiration. It's quite an interesting one. I think inspiration, because I think some people try to inspire, but don't inspire. Whereas people that have a clear purpose and, and, and are very passionate about what they do naturally do inspire from that. So almost the key there for me is that you've got such a strong purpose in what you're trying to do.
2: Yeah. And, and I find that so important because, Hey, I'm, I'm like everybody else. Some mornings I wake up and I don't feel like it. I don't feel like getting out there. Um, I'm like everybody else and especially this year as well has been incredibly challenging for me. Um, I, I've, Hey, there's been days I've I've lied in bed until 11 o'clock in the morning. And that surprises some people because I'm that guy that's the five o'clock guy. No, I've had I've had some rough days. You know, I'm here at home. I live by myself, um, and, and you know, everybody's had their pandemic stories as well. But it, it's been tough. But what's eventually got me out of bed is, hey, you know what? People are relying on me today. There's a far greater purpose than than me. I'm not going to change the world or inspire anybody lying in bed today. Yeah. So you know, I, I'm going to get out there and do one or two things that are going to, you know, share a post on Facebook share a post on Twitter that adds value to people's lives. You know, I talk about, and that's actually number four on my rules of success is add value to the lives of others. It costs you nothing. That I part of my, if I can call it success, humbly speaking, part of my success has been adding value to the lives of others. And it's cost me nothing. It's cost me zero.
0: If we go back Alistair to your, I can't let that slide because Alistair McCall is positive. Alistair McCall is motivational, inspirational. He, he must find it easy. He he gets out there, he runs. It's easy for him. So I know it's not. But but in terms of you saying that you have days where you don't feel like it and you struggle a little bit to get out of bed to go and go and attack the day, I think is is really refreshing for people to hear (laughs) that there's no such thing as just, it, it, it comes easy, but in that moment, when you're having those days, how, how do you get yourself, get yourself out of that? What's the process? What's, you know, how do you, what do you hang your hat on on those days?
2: Yeah. And I'm glad you've, 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 you've touched on that because yes, I'm, I'm maybe seen as the positive motivating guy, but that's not always the case. I have to, self-talk myself or get myself going for example i'm not always positive no no chance you can't always be positive but here's the difference between positive and negative people is that positive people still get negative but they're able to get out of it quicker they're able to move on quicker from that negative thought or that negative feeling um some of the ways i'll get myself going is set one or two small goals today i'm going to get 20 minutes this is say if i was to look back say uh, two months ago, where I had probably my worst part of this whole pandemic thing. I hadn't traveled for a long time. I'm here at home. Um, I would say it was simply like, you know, when you're in that state, it's almost like a depressive state. And I've been in depression is um, you just say, okay, today, I'm going to achieve 20 minutes of exercise, even if it's a walk around my neighborhood. Perfect. Do it. And I'm going to maybe watch something 20 minutes inspirational, or read something for 20 minutes. Good. Those are the two goals for today. That's all. If I can achieve those things, I've achieved something today. I've accomplished something today. And you know, there was days, uh, John and Dan, where were I could only achieve those two things. And, and, you know, marathon man and all this stuff. No, I, I, I went for a 20 minute walk. That's all I could do that day. That's all I had the, the, the motivation to do that day and read something for 20 minutes. But at least when I put my head on the pillow at night, I thought, you know what? I, I did two things that I probably didn't feel like doing today. And I did yeah. them and I feel good about them myself. So
0: my, my suggestion is give yourself one or two small goals. Oh, very good. And do, and do you have a history of depression?
2: Yeah, I, I suffered from um, se- severe depression uh, in the early 2000s. Um, where I was on medication. I suffered it it again at the end of my athletic career where I almost felt I lost my identity. I was an athlete for all this time and now I was like, you know, what am I? And it's actually what I write about in Champion Minded is um, it's called, the chapter is called Identity Crisis. Who are you? You you, uh, You know, Andre Agassi talks about his first third of his life was just, he was a tennis player. And then when he, he retired in his career, he wasn't prepared for the second, third. And, you know, again, you guys drive high values that it's not just about sports. It's about life. And you're preparing the athlete for, for when they move on. If they go to college or they become a professional, fantastic. But who are they becoming in 10 years, in 20 years? Yeah. You know, because for me, and I'm sure you guys are aligned with it. There's nothing better than, you know, you know, getting to the age now where there's kids I worked with that are now 30 they you know, 31, 32, and they're they're successful people or they're good people. That's, that's, that's a joy for me to see that maybe their tennis career didn't work out, but they're good people. They're successful in their business. They learned lessons from, from you guys and and girls at the academy that they took for life.
0: And how did you get out of that period of your life when you were, when you were having gone through the severe depression?
2: You know, I, I remember it. I was, I, I moved to London. Um, part of it was being out of work, thinking that I'd go over there with my resume and just walk into, into good jobs. This was back in 2001, 2002, maybe. You know, I'd worked with great athletes in South Africa, like Graham Smith, the cricketer, and, and a lot of their celebs and so on. I thought I'd just go there and I'd just walk into a job. It didn't happen. Um, I lost a lot of weight. The weather was a big factor for me. Uh, financially I was a big factor so I fell into depression and it was a phone call to my mom uh, where she said and here's the thing you're just going to do two things today you're going to wake up you're going to brush your hair and put some nice clothes on because when you're feeling depressed you 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 don't make an effort you just feel terrible and the second one was you're going to go help somebody else do one thing today it can be helping an old lady across the road it can be serving soup at the the church it can be you're just going to do something for somebody else today. And that was the beginning of the process yeah. was doing something for myself and doing something for, for somebody else. And that's how the process got me out of depression.
0: I love it. No, we, we've done, I, I don't know how closely you followed the podcast, Alistair, but we did a, we did a mental health awareness week. Um, you know, something very close, very close to our hearts. And it, it, there was something, a couple of things that one of our guests talked about that really stuck with me and, and the first one was and he shared his story, Joe Dixon. it's, a, it's an episode if, you, if it, it, episode I, I don't know the exact number, but I would definitely recommend anybody that's got a history of mental health or anybody that has, knows people and wants to kind of get some ideas of how how to support Joe Dixon and he he very bravely talks about his whole story that took him to, to attempted suicide. And what he, what he talks about is how, in that moment, he talks about it like he's, he's it, a glass of water, and it's, he's got a glass, and just he can feel the glass getting fuller and fuller and fuller to the point where the glass is now overflowing. And, and he just had to find things like you're talking about the one or two little bits that are just empty a little bit of water out of the glass. And and the second thing that he said that really stru- struck me was that he believes that a hundred percent of people experience some form of of mental difficulty, you know, and that will depend obviously just like physical injury. Someone might cut their leg, and someone might pop their cruciate ligament. So the intensity levels will will change. And I thought it was such a lovely message, and and, and because just that. This can and mental health can affect anybody at any time, and we're all susceptible to it. And the normalization, and I'm sorry that I'm now kind of going picking on this. This is this is quite a heavy topic, but I just it, uh, kind of you as a, a bit of a superman figure you know the superman figure I think it's so it'll be so refreshing for so many of the listeners to to hear your story about what you've been through and that all of us that all of us have that possibility and just that kind of I call it the next two minutes you know we talk to the tennis but all that matters now is the next two minutes you know you can impact the next two minutes you know and and what you're saying the next two little things.
2: Yeah, exactly. And I think this is something, it's great that we've gone on to this, you know, um, because I agree with that. Everybody will go through some form of depression. It just depends what what level it's at. But, you know, know, there's that that quote that I put out there. It's not my quote by any means, but, you know, be kind because, you know, you don't know what that other person's going through. And I might look like you know, he's got it all together. He's positive. And is that no, I've, I've been in some dark places and, 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 and been in depression. And this year has been tough as well. I'm not going to lie, even yeah. though on the outside, it, it looks it looks okay. So we don't know what other people are going through. You, you know, they might be happy, they're smiling, you think, well, they're, they're happy, they've got it all together. But you know, inside, they're, they're hurting. And you know, we need to just keep that in mind. Again, we talk about mindfulness of mindful about the person next to you, that we don't know what they're actually going through, what they're suffering right right now. And we need to talk about it more, you know, especially men, you know, we, you know, I'm glad that things are changing that men can now talk a little bit more as we we're before. It's like, you know, no, we don't talk about those things. You got to be strong. You got to be this, you know, uh, this figure, so
1: to say.
0: Yeah, very good, Alistair. And in terms of you as a fitness coach, you as a mindset coach, where do you feel you've impacted players the most? I hope it's been, I hope it's been
2: more about uh, becoming a better person. To be honest, um, I would say my 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 goals, my vision, my reason for doing what I did changed. You know, probably eight nine years ago, of being very results driven, and the next best athlete I wanted to work with and the next higher ranked player I wanted to work with as we're now, it's like, I really don't care who I work with, as long as, you know, we align in values and they want to become a better person and they're willing to go on that journey, for example, regardless if they're unranked, ranked, successful, unsuccessful. If you, if you want to say, I don't believe anybody's unsuccessful, but,
0: um, that's, that's where it's changed for me. And who have you had the biggest impact on as a coach? Um,
2: look, there's been obviously players from the past that have, uh, you know, that I've worked with when they were kids, um, you know, when they were 12, 13, now they're adults. And, you know, one particular one is, uh, Alexandra Porta, who's now a coach for the, you know, USTA here in the States. And, you know, she will have a chat now and then where she said you influenced me to be, to become who I am and to be a coach and to be value driven and so on. And that, for me, that, that gives me great joy, but you know, the biggest thing as well, is sometimes in my inboxes or i'll get random emails from people that are um that will say you know you changed my life you changed my path i was suicidal i was depressed and your quotes helped me or there was one particular thing that you put on facebook that just changed my whole thinking so there's there's been those instances that that have that have come up and for me that is what it's about For me right now in my life, that's what it's about. It's not about who who wins a Grand Slam and who's ranked what and so on. That was more, and that's nice, you know, that's, but that was more my ego back in those days. Today, it's now about, about other people. So um, yeah, again, living my, my vision and purpose is inspiring others. And when you get an email from somebody who said, you changed my direction, you changed my path. I was, you know, like I said, there's been one or two people who said I was close to, to taking
0: my own life nothing can can uh, beat that powerful amazing amazing
1: to listen to you Alistair and uh, I love your message I love everything that you send out like I said to you at the you know at the beginning when you come on before the podcast just uh, I think everything that comes out from you is sends is is love and uh, it's really good energy and you know the, how you put messages out on social media—it's always positive. Uh, me personally, um, I, you've inspired me, and uh, for for the things that I do here in Ireland as well. And um, just—it's uh, really great to hear um, those words from you. From like Dan said, uh, Superman.
0: <laughs> I think for me though, Alistair to jump on that, I've taken your messaging and and I've and I've obviously picked it up on social media my opinion of you have now sat and spoke to you for an hour not that i had a bad opinion of you but my opinion of you has much 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 higher and i think i think what's been so lovely about this chat here is having a real chance and this is what i love about podcasts and i listen to a lot of podcasts because it, it, the Getting the context, getting the the emotion, the understanding. I have such a strong understanding now of why you are what you are, whereas reading something on social media without that, oh, I can take or leave that. Okay, that's nice. But, you know, and I guess probably one of my things coming into this podcast is, well, we can all kind of say that you know that can be said and you know how does it come alive and I think the fact that you obviously do live and breathe those things and and to and to kind of bring together and have that I feel I've connected much more now with your words rather than those words just being words
2: yeah no thank you I, I appreciate those those words then and you know um you know sometimes I live with and I think we all do in a way live with imposter syndrome where like you're, you, you say to yourself, well, who are you to, 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 to tell people this or to put this out here because you're not living this all the time. And, and, you know, we're not perfect. You know, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll do things I'm not proud of or, or, you know, and and you're thinking, well, that's not champion minded. Um, so, so to say, so, you know, listen, we're on a journey. We're not going to get everything right all the time. You know, I'm, I'm going to do things I'm not proud of or, or mess up. That's, 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 that's life, you know, but what did you learn from it? What are you taking forward? Um, you know, this, my latest book, and this is not a push for my books in any way, developing a winning attitude and mindset. That's a lot of things I'm writing in there about lessons about who actually I want, want to become. I'm not, I'm not that person yet. And I don't think yeah. I ever will be that person yet. I don't always have a winning attitude and, and, and mindset. It's almost impossible, but you know, I'm, I'm trying for example, but you know, a good friend of mine said to me, Alistair, why don't you, you know, I've read your first two books. Why don't you start writing things more about your imperfections instead of the things that you've, you've achieved and done well. And I think that was a big game changer for me as well. Uh, Dan and John was, was, you know, people are not so inspired by, you know, yeah, they're like, wow, that's impressive. wow you've done this and that, but they're more inspired by your imperfections and, and that you're also someone that's like, like is fighting is challenging to overcome them as well. Cause they can relate with that. Absolutely. Yep. Instead of seeing this perfect image and thinking, wow, I mean, that's like untouchable, uh, you know? So that's why I think it's important for us to talk more about our
0: imperfections. Mm. Well, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think John's touched on the social media bit. And I think when you are a bit of a, a lone ranger in terms of what you're creating, I don't know who you have. And I'd love to get into that in a minute, who, who helps you underneath it all as well. You're putting yourself out there to be shot at <laughs> as well, you know, because it's, it, it the, the social media world is, is wonderful and a nightmare all at the same time. Be, like, I, I couldn't have Soto Tennis Academy without social media. Social media is what got us off the ground. And, and I'm sure with what you've done as well, social media has played a big impact. And part of doing that and putting yourself out there and posting a lot and giving messages, you will always have people that then go... Ah, arsehole. Who you know, who's that? But on a on a on a more positive note on the social media, I don't think anyone can deny that you've done it very well. You know, you've 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 got yourself absolutely out there. Obviously, having a story and having the fact that you've backed it up with what you've done and the people you've worked with and the things you've achieved is, you know, you can't just bluff your way through on social media. But how can can you give us a bit of an insight into that journey, the social media journey?
2: Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. When you put yourself out there and I'm sure you guys have had it as well, you're going to get trolls. You're going to get people who, you know, who send you some nasty stuff. And, you know, I've had to block and delete a lot of, a lot of people who are just not adding anything to the page or whatever. And I have very strict rules or standards on my Facebook page, for example, where there's no blasphemy and there's no, you know, this is not a page for trolling or anything like that. Otherwise I just, without question, I just block. I don't care. I don't want you on this page. like you guys probably wouldn't want somebody at your academy who's violating the standards and not 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 being a good person for for example so um yeah with, with social media uh you know i i just learned from a lot of people you know you talk about mentors i don't necessarily have a mentor that i see face to face or on zoom for example i have many mentors that that i don't even know you know because we're in an age of of social media where we can follow people where you go, I like that, that guy's message, or I like her message, for example. Mm. Um, you know, you take a little bit from them and take a little bit from them. Those are mentors. You know, we're, we're getting mentored on social media every day. That's why I always say to, especially the younger generation, um, you're gonna be influenced by the people you surround yourself with, the environment you're in, the things you follow, listen, watch, read. You're gonna be influenced by those. And the same applies for us, no matter what age you are. So with my social media, I've just learned um, what works, what doesn't work. I think um, a big part of the, the being, having success there is consistency, getting back to that word consistency is that you know some people start off, yeah, I'm gonna start a Twitter page, my Instagram, um, you know, and then they post for a week. And then the second week, they forgot about it on Wednesday and Friday, they didn't feel like it. And then it filters out again. Plus they're also going, oh, look, I only have 34 followers. This isn't working. You know, I was told to go on Twitter and this, this isn't working. (laughs) You know, it takes years and years and years to build up, you know, if I can say an air quotes, a following or or people. So, you know, yeah, it's just been, I would say consistency over the years, adding value. It costs me nothing. And that's been part of of how I've been able to build my brand.
0: Very good. And what you mentioned the word influence and when you when i when you look at yourself as as a coach as uh, you've obviously worked in many different countries you know i would imagine with lots of different and that's i guess the beauty of the world of tennis it's it can't just be if you're an american football coach well this is how it works in america you know whereas you know in tennis you you're pulled into many different countries What have been some of the challenges of overcoming, I guess, cultural challenges, overcoming working with different nationalities and in different countries?
2: Well, I think things are changing now because of, of, um, you know, our technological world and and internet and so on and so forth. But, you know, back in the early 2000s, I was working in Russia. I was working with, um, you know, Dinara Safina, Svetlana Kuznetsova a little bit later, so I've, I've worked with a lot of different diversities, you know, uh, Asian, you know, Hyongchang South Africans, Kevin, Belgium, Xavier, et cetera. So I've been able to learn diff- different cultures, but I would say, especially working with the Eastern Bloc countries that i worked with, like Czech Republic or Russia, their way of motivating athletes was very, very diff- different to, for example, here in the States, here in the States, it's all about positivity. You're doing great. Keep going. As we're, I learned very quickly being on the court the first day with Denara Safina. Uh, her mom obviously still played a big part in her, her career. And her mom was responsible for coaching a lot of players like Marek, for example, and and Anastasia Moskina and um, Dementieva and a whole lot of Russian players, uh, Kerelenko, Vesnina. It was actually Denara's mom who was part of that, that process. And I remember, you know, his first practice, I think it was at the club at Spartak, Spartak moscow there's there's still holes in the windows um and it's freezing the court hasn't been resurfaced probably in in 100 years and she she was she had a hitting partner she was having this long point running left to right you know like tongue out and she eventually like wins the point and i go great job and her mom comes walking over to me storming over to me and she says you don't tell my daughter good job or whatever and I was like what, what did i say then Nara came over to me and she said, look, I'm expected to do that. You don't need to say good job. Nice. Well done. She said, I'm expected to do that. And that was a little bit of a lesson for me because here in America, you've got to be encouraging and supporting and every point is great and positive and so on and so forth. As we're there, it's expected. Yeah, yeah. You don't need to tell me that it's good. So I had to change my, you know, that was a massive lesson for me to how you motivate certain cultures how they've been brought up, you have to like, you know, I've had so many different players with personalities. I mean, uh, Bernie Tomic, Bernard Tomick, how do I relate to him? Oh. Kevin At- <laughs> like players that are like diverse. And I said, That's what's made me a better coach, is that being taken out of my comfort zone and having to learn how they operate. Now, people say to me, How did you work with Bernard Tomic? I said, he's actually one of the nicest guys around when he's not, you know not on a court. He goes into a different animal. You know when he's on the court, but he's actually a very pleasant guy. I helped him through his double hip surgery, you know, here in Florida, where he came for three months, and I spent three months with him. And um, you know, people don't see that other side to to people that they see; they think is crazy or you know, whatever. Nick is Nick Kyrios is a nice kid. He's a nice guy. Lovely guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's a nice guy, and what he does for kids, and you know, I see him here, you know, sometime at the Everett Academy in Boca, um, when he used to come here. Uh, he always
0: has time for kids. He always has time for people. Uh, a lovely guy, you know? And is South African culture more closely related to Russian culture or US culture?
2: Well, geographically situated, it's in the middle. And I'd say a bit of both. Okay. A bit of both. We had a very high discipline, very, almost like a brutal, like approach to coaching. I, You know, when I when I started coaching, I had success more with, the Russians, that type of like that side of the world, where it was like, you do know what I say, like yeah. a dictatorship type of coaching. That's how I coached. And then I realized very quickly, moving to Europe and then moving to the States, I had to change my, my, my approach in coaching because I wasn't going to end up with many clients, you know, um, because the approach had to be different. So I was brought up that way. And this is the thing about coaching. You're not indebted to coach the way you've been coached you've got to adapt, you've got to change. In fact, that's one of the key things and that's one of the keys of being a great coach is the ability to adapt to to your audience. But I had to change my way of coaching because I wasn't going to end up with many clients the way I was coaching.
0: Yeah. And now, would you say your style, where would you say your style falls now?
2: You know, there's different styles of leadership. There's autocratic dictatorship, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's important to have authority, but more important is to have influence. So I would say it's more of an influential type of um, approach. Yes, of, you, know, you brought up that word in, in this episode of influence. You know, to influence, to impact others, you have to have an influence with them. And to influence others, you have to have a relationship with them. That's the process. Relationship influence makes relationship influence impact. So I'd say that's the direction I'm,
0: I've, I've tried to head, so to say. Very good, Alice. It's a lovely way to to end a fantastic chat. But before we do finish, we do have our quick fire round. So, are you ready for the quick fire? Yes, absolutely. One golden rule in life. Be kind. Gym or track. Track. Twitter or Facebook. Twitter. ATP Cup or Davis Cup? ATP Cup. Your favourite Grand Slam?
2: Uh, Roland Garros.
0: Wow, you're the first person in 82 episodes to say that. The next first time Grand Slam winner on the men's side? Um, men for death? Medvedev hasn't won a slam yet, has he? No, good shout. And on the Medvedev.
2: female, on the female side, I wouldn't say the next one, but definitely Coco is going to win a few.
0: And your favourite quote? Uh, excellence is an attitude. Like it. And one rule change that you would make in tennis?
2: I know this is going to like. Be very, very uh, controversial, but you're only allowed one serve. I like it. I I I would be very interested to, you know, would it would it be a three-quarter serve?
0: Would it would we just go more to kick serve? Nick Kyrgios uh, wouldn't. Nick Kyrgios wouldn't wouldn't give a shit. He'd be absolutely launching it. And last last question, who should be our next guest?
2: definitely a player that i worked with that that um is just a fantastic person xavier melisse uh, the x-man
0: oh yes well let, let's get him on we'll we'll leave you to, leave you to set it up for us alistair
2: i will do no, <clears throat> no definitely
0: alistair honestly it's been such a lovely chat to to sit there and just you know hear your views hear your story and uh and yeah just really fascinating i Big, big thank you for your openness and your insight and good luck. Let's hope that we do get out of this pandemic situation for everyone globally. And I really do hope that we get to catch up and have a coffee at a tennis tournament sometime in the near future.
2: Absolutely. I'd love that. And you guys keep doing a great job. I mean, this podcast is I've heard so many people talking about it as well, but um you know you guys are also inspiring others and sharing and so i appreciate it and i've I've loved this conversation as well so thanks so much
1: thanks a million alistair and thanks so much uh, for coming on really looking forward to getting you back over to ireland as well when the time is right so once again a big big thank you for coming on with us
0: thank you so much and last thing Alistair, how the podcast world needs to stick together how how would people find your podcast what's the name It's called Champion Minded. It's on uh, iTunes,
2: uh, YouTube, Amazon Podcasts, and um, via my website,
0: alistarmccall.com. You can get it off there as well. Fantastic. Head yourself over there, guys. Thank you very much, Alistair. Thank you. A big thank you to Alistair for, for his time as with all of these conversations, it, it certainly gives me a lot of time to to reflect, uh, to learn, to to refine my own philosophies, where some of the things fit. And what I found actually throughout the chat with Alistair was how much I found myself nodding my head, and there seemed to be a real alignment of values, you know, and something that I've taken from the from the podcast with Alistair. He he's obviously had his difficulties in his life you know from from being brought up in south africa i don't think we should underestimate the power of that and 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 the difficulties that then do bring resilience if you allow it to and then his mental health struggles I, i i knew nothing about that before the podcast um, I sensed it through the podcast that it was something that Alistair would like to talk about and open up on, and I, and I really thank him for that because it it added such a such an extra dimension to that, and that's I think I said in the podcast. You know, people view someone like an Alistair McCaw's Superman, you know, and and actually the the fact is he alongside all of us, you know, that have that have had struggles. So many people that are going through their own struggles that we don't know about. And for people to see that actually that's what's happening in the world of Alistair McCaw, yet he's able to still push through. He's had those difficult times and use that as a positive to be able to then help other people was such a a wonderful message to take. And then, then then the last message, which we talk a lot about on the podcast one life lesson to live by, be kind, <laughs> because you never know what people are going through, you know, and that's, that's the case. I always think of Robin Williams, you know, the amazing actor, the funny comedian, got the world at his feet, multimillionaire, you know, and actually he took his own life, <laughs> you know, and that that was, I remember that a few years, and that really made me open my eyes to we never quite know what people are going through. You know, we're getting to a time, a time of the year where this becomes a little bit more magnified for many people. You know, the Christmas period, people that don't have families by their side, people that have real difficulties in their life. And and I just want you to take a moment to just think of those. What are we also doing to give back? Uh, At the Academy, we have been running a running, pardon the pun, literally running, walking, cycling to get 100 miles of running in 30 days or walking um, and to go towards a great cause because we want people to have a Christmas dinner. We want to give back to the local communities through the food banks. I am going to put the link in the podcast notes if anyone can spare one euro, two euros. That's all we're asking for, to go towards having somebody having a meal on Christmas Day when we sit down with our families you know, let's let's make sure that as many people in the world have that have that same experience of having a nice Christmas dinner on the table. And and I want that message to come through. I know it's what Alistair is, is talking about. You know, be kind, you never know what anybody else is going through. Thanks for listening, guys. I want to give a big shout out to my co-host John McGann. This is the last time that I will be saying this, that he's my co-host, because we have made the decision that moving forward that I will be hosting the podcast but he's still going to be a big part of the team he's going to be doing the work behind the scenes uh, but it gives it gives me great pleasure that we are going to continue working together so for the last time I'm Dan Keenan my co-host is John McGann we are Control the Controllables